This is the first of two podcasts discussing some of the most influential films ever made. Not the greatest, the most influential. And in this edition, I'll be looking at films that used visual elements with such innovation that they forever changed the way filmmakers communicate with audiences. Measuring greatness is subjective, while quantifying influence and change is more empirical. You observe what cinema was like before a certain film was made, and then you see what cinema was like after it was released. A great observer of change was Sir Isaac Newton, and we have Newton to thank for unearthing the laws of gravity. But speaking of his achievement, Newton declared, If I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. And indeed, what Newton did was extend the investigations of Nicholas Copernicus, Galileo Galilei and Johannes Kepler. So, while you may not have heard of some of the films on this list, that's because they are what I call the shoulders of cinema. Which means there will be no pause for the likes of Star Wars, Toy Story and The Lord of the Rings. And despite their indubitable genius, you will not hear the names Quentin Tarantino, Guillermo del Toro or Christopher Nolan. Unlike the other art forms, architecture, sculpture, painting, dance, music and poetry, we can locate the first film ever made. Workers Leaving the Factory premiered on December 28, 1895, and although today the Lumiere Brothers film is regarded as a documentary, it is nonetheless a very carefully choreographed story. Lasting barely 45 seconds, it resembles the act of reading a book. The film begins... The factory gates open, the workers come out, the gates close, the film ends. But just because a film tells a story does not mean it is fiction. And that brings us to Georges Méliès. Méliès had been in attendance when the Lumière screened their first films in the basement of the Salon Indien de Grand Café on Boulevard de Capucines. Enthralled by what he saw, Méliès approached the Lumières offering to buy their camera but they rebuffed him, saying the filmmaking was a scientific exercise and would never amount to a business. Méliès's business had been, until then, an illusionist, but seeing the Lumière's films, he saw the potential to incorporate cinema into his stage shows. However, what Méliès ended up doing was incorporating his stage show into cinema. Tragically, the vast majority of Méliès's films have been lost, either willfully or accidentally, so his earliest film that we still have dates from 1896, The Vanishing Lady. But if it were not for Méliès, we would have none of these films. Oculus, repair room. That's better, isn't it? Holy cricket, you're Harry Potter. You can change or stay the same. There are no rules to this thing. We can make the best or the worst of it. I hope you make the best of it. Do you remember how... Do you remember how Alice wasn't always in Wonderland? She fell down, 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 deep in a hole. Right, well, I wasn't always in room. I'm like Alice. Yes, you may not have noticed it, but Room had subtle post-production visual effects work. In fact, the character of young Jack was really played by Chris Rock. <clears throat> Despite Méliès steering cinema into the fictional realm, by and large the early days of film were dominated by realism. 
Realism was a style of visual art that had begun in the mid-19th century, and by the time cinema began, it had already infiltrated literature. So effective were some authors, the belief was that the novel delivered a more accurate account of the human condition than ever before. Cinema's loyalty to realism changed in 1919 with the release of The Cabinet of Dr Caligari. Directed by Robert Vina, Caligari marked a profound break from realism and ushered in Expressionism. Expressionism does not present the world, rather it expresses how a character feels about the world. In order to tell its story, Expressionism doesn't represent reality, it distorts it. And Vina told a story in such a way that the film's ideas were expressed not exclusively through plot, but by way of its heavily stylized set, costume and lighting design. Above all else, what Caligari did was show how a film's look can convey its meaning or subtext. Delivering an ending so twisted it not only completely subverts everything that has gone before, it still manages to shock audiences to this day. While Caligari was one of the first German films to be distributed internationally after World War I, its startling and innovative design took a while to impact elsewhere. But so profound was its influence that Caligari can be seen in film noir. I used to believe in God. Well, I still do believe in God, only. I believe in God and mercy and all that, but the dead are happier dead. They don't miss much here, poor devils. In every horror film. and every psychological thriller. Since Expressionism was a rejection of realism, it would only follow that filmmakers have been seeking other forms of storytelling. Why photograph reality when you can outline your own? I'm talking about animation. The earliest surviving animated sequence dates from 1900. The Enchanted Drawing, directed by J. Stuart Blackton, not only features animated hand drawings, it has those drawings interact with live action. Blackton used stop-motion animation to show an animator drawing a face on a board and then interacting with it so he shares a cigar and some cognac with his creation. Without Blackton's film, there would be none of these. Well, Denham, the airplane's got him. Oh, no. It wasn't the airplanes. It was beauty killed the beast. You don't know how hard it is being a woman looking the way I do. Yeah, well, you don't know how hard it is being a man looking at a woman looking the way you do. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. My name is Optimus Prime. We are autonomous robotic organisms from the planet Cybertron. But you can call us Autobots for short. Blackton's film ran for just two minutes, 
the first full-length animated feature film, arrived in 1926. The Adventures of Prince Ahmed was directed by Lottie Reiniger, and what makes the film even more significant is that Reiniger invented a whole new technique of animation. This is important because the more techniques filmmakers have at their disposal, the more articulate cinema becomes. Prior to Reiniger's film, animation had been hand-drawn, and that technique dominated the form until the arrival of CGI. But instead of line drawings, Reiniger opted to use cutouts made from cardboard and thin sheets of lead, so the figures appeared exclusively in silhouette. In other words, Reiniger rendered her characters as shadow puppets. But instead of simply filming their movements, Reiniger opted to use stop motion. It took her three years to complete the film, after which she had the prints tinted. Her remarkable achievement can be seen in glorious colour on YouTube. Before colour film stock was fully realised, techniques such as tinting, toning and hand painting were all devices used to enrich the filmmaker's palette. The big breakthrough came in 1935 with the release of the first three-strip Technicolor film, Ruben Mamoulian's adaptation of William Thackeray's novel Vanity Fair. Renamed Becky Sharp and starring Miriam Hopkins in the title role, the edition once again added to cinema's growing dictionary. Colour is now such an expressive force. Can you imagine any of these films in black and white? My name is Pai Patel. I have been in a shipwreck. I am on a lifeboat alone with a tiger. Please send help. James. James Bond. Good God. Are you still alive? It's nice to see you too. All right. This is your way home. We go back? Hmm. As technological innovation continues, film's dictionary gets ever bigger, and a bigger screen broadens your vocabulary. In its earliest days, the frame came with aspect ratios of 133 and 137 to 1. And although there were some efforts to widen the frame, it wasn't until 1953 with the release of 20th Century Fox's biblical epic, The Robe, that a successful alternative was secured. Director Henry Coster opted for an anamorphic lens, which Fox called Cinemascope, and delivered an image with an aspect ratio of 235 to 1. Why the change? The studios needed to combat television, and since TV sets were small and square, Hollywood chased a new format in an effort to hold on to its audience. The Robe was an enormous hit at the box office, earning back nine times its $4 million budget. And once more, filmmakers had another device with which to tell their stories. Now filmmakers have the choice to compose their frame in 133, 137, 166, 185, 2 or 235. So films as varied as these can tailor the image to suit the action. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? 
Hey, motherfucker. 20 years after The Road was released came a movie that is arguably the most influential in the modern era, by which I mean the last 50 years. Michael Crichton's sci-fi thriller Westworld is set in a theme park, and just like his later novel Jurassic Park, something goes wrong and the attractions run amok. Yul Brynner plays an android gunslinger that severely malfunctions and then goes about killing the visitors. In one sequence, Crichton chose to show the scene from Brynner's point of view, which meant a robot's point of view, and the resulting image marked the first motion picture use of CGI. Cold raster graphics, the technique involved each frame being colour separated and scanned. The result was a pixelated image. Three years later, a sequel called Future World introduced cinema to the very first use of 3D CGI. So, no Westworld Future World, none of these. Three to goal, two and one. I'm getting out of here right now and you guys are invited. Got it. Ready? Ready. So long, Hasta la vista, baby. In the last number of years, there have been increasing complaints that CGI is damaging storytelling. But as we have seen, special effects have been around almost as long as cinema, and they have undoubtedly enriched cinema's ability to communicate. So I think the problem lies elsewhere. No matter how dazzling or innovative, any special effect will fail if it does not engage emotionally, because the biggest special effect any filmmaker can deploy is a sense of wonder. What is going to happen next? And such curiosity only comes when the filmmaker provides emotional weight to the story. So the problem is not CGI, it is storytelling. And that is why audiences of all ages are still enchanted by this. In the next podcast, we will be looking at films that use editing and sound so innovatively that they have changed forever the way film communicates. <laughs>